Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Enough. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he can reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, the end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in the shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I treat Cynthia to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement, 
and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, as we pray, uh, we pray as, uh, as we open your word again today, that you will speak to us ever so clearly about the place of prayer, uh, how, how much of a gift and privilege it is, as well as how necessary it is for us to be able to be sustained and to be guarded in our faith in Jesus. So please give us ears to hear and hearts that are able to change in the way that we view you and the way we view prayer. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this uh, sermon series, Firm Foundations, I hope you've been able to see how it has been infused, it is dripping with grace. Uh, we've already covered uh, four uh, of, this, uh, of these foundations, and each one uh, along the way you would have seen, right, it is full of God's grace. It all begins, of course, with the most important gift of grace, which is that salvation is a gift that God gives to us uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ, right? We're saved as a gift achieved through Jesus Christ, uh, which we know that we then receive by faith, right? What you do with a gift is you receive it by faith. So those are the first two sermons. And then we saw uh, two weeks ago uh, that we're also given the gift of a new life. We have been saved from our previous life of rejecting God and living in sin for ourselves to live a new way, right, which we strive to do by God's grace. And then we saw last week, as we looked at 2 Timothy 3, uh, the gift of God's very own breathed out words in the scriptures, in the Bible. And we were taught last week that the Bible is totally sufficient for us to know how to be saved and how to live the saved life. Dripping with grace is the foundation of our faith. And today, as we see the next foundational element, we also see that it is dripping with grace as well. For we will see today that prayer is the gift and privilege of being able to approach God and speak to Him. Our prayer in all things is what helps us to press on in our faith, guarding us in Christ in all circumstances as we wait for His return. So it's a gift and privilege, but it's also necessary as God's gift of guarding us in our faith until Jesus returns. And that's what we're going to see as we focus on our, our two verses, Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. But before we do that, I want, us to, I want to speak for a few minutes about the fact that we can actually even pray to God. Anyway, the 6 and 7, the next two weeks will be church and evangelism, right? Now, people take it for granted, don't they, that if God truly does exist out there somewhere, that we can speak to Him. People from all religions, uh, they pray. People in crisis, they pray. People who need a car park at Indrapilly Shopping Center on a Saturday afternoon will pray, and they'll know that the answer will be no, right? Because it's impossible to find a park car park. We pray when we can't find our keys or our wallet. Uh, we pray when we're in the doctor's office waiting for a diagnosis. We pray when we're desperate to be married or to have children or to find a job. Right? We pray sometimes in the quietness of our hearts, sometimes softly under our breath, and sometimes we shout it out. Right, to God, help me, save me, answer me. People throw out prayers all the time. And Christians, we Christians, we pray too, don't we? 
But the question is, how do we know that God actually hears our prayers, or anybody's prayers? And who does God respond to if He does hear our prayers? Now, in one sense, God hears all prayers, doesn't He? By virtue of being all-knowing. Right? He knows our thoughts even before we think it. He knows our words before we even say it. So in, in some sense, yes, God knows every single thought and word and prayer of man. But if we're asking the question, who does God promise to listen to and respond to as a father? If we're asking the question, who can actually draw near to God with intimacy and connection and fellowship? Who, who has been guaranteed a listening ear and a favorable response from God? Then the answer is actually very different. <clears throat> it is only the Christian the child of God who is guaranteed and promised this kind of connection, this kind of access, this kind of privilege of being able to speak to God as Father with the confidence that He hears and that He will respond. And so at this point, that I want to kind of reverse back four weeks to Romans 5, to the first uh, foundational element that we're saved by God because I think this one, this, this, this saved by God foundation is the foundation of all of our faith. So let's have a look again at the passage that we looked at four weeks ago, right? In Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, this is what it says. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still sinners, for, sorry, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible that we looked at about four weeks ago, isn't it? In summary, what do we see in these verses? We see that through Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. Uh, things between us and God have been made right. We have been reconciled back to God. We were once sinners and enemies uh, and estranged from God, but now we are reconciled as children of God, adopted back into His family. And, and so believers can now draw near to God in a way that no one else can. Believers come through the blood of Jesus, through His forgiving work, through His grace, through His adoption, to be able to come before God's very presence and call on Him as our Father, knowing that He loves us knowing that He loves to hear us, knowing that He loves to respond to us. Now, this means that prayer isn't just have some throwaway wish, right? We, with vain hopes of someone answering. It, it means that prayer isn't hitting you know, the ceiling and bouncing back or, or hitting a brick wall and not going anywhere. And it can feel like that sometimes, can't it, when we pray? It can feel like God is, is far away, distant, or that he, he can't hear, or He won't hear, or He won't respond. But the truth and the reality of the matter is that in Christ, as Christians, God hears and answers our prayers. The prayers of God's children are always heard by our Heavenly Father. If you're a believer here this morning, that is your privilege. 
That is the gift that you've been given. That is an assurance that you have, the comfort that you have, to be able to approach God like this with confidence. If you're not a believer here this morning, then this is available to you as well through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's something that you, you want to be able to speak to the God who created you, please do speak to us more about what it means to receive Christ as your Savior and King. Now, prayer is this wonderful privilege that somehow we as Christians so easily forget or neglect that we have, isn't it? And, and so scriptures are, are full of encouragements and even commandments for us to, to pray to God, to speak to God about everything in life. You see, prayer isn't just a privilege, it's that, but it's also a necessity. It's a necessity. Prayer, you see, is an expression that we trust in our Heavenly Father. Prayer is necessary, it's crucial for our ongoing faith. Prayer is how God helps us to press on in the faith, to stand firm and secure in Christ, no matter what life throws at us. This is what is being uh, 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 this is the point that's being made in the passage that we're focusing on today, right? So Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, commands us to pray about everything. Why? So that we will remain secure in Christ until He comes back. That's what these two verses are talking about. But to, to kind of get the context of this, let's just sort of jump backwards into the beginning of Philippians to see what's going on here. Now, the letter of Philippians was what the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, to these Christians. And he really wrote to rejoice in the partnership that they shared in the gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul had been traveling to many places over many years, uh, living for Christ and preaching his gospel. And, and we hear in this letter that the Philippians had been financially supporting him and, and joining his vision of life, that they too were living for Christ and sharing Jesus. And Paul writes to them not only to rejoice in this partnership that they have in the gospel, but he writes to urge them to keep pressing on in living for Jesus and in preaching Jesus. Have a look, right? Chapter, chapter 1, verse 27. So, Bible's open, turn to chapter 1, verse 27, especially if you're feeling a bit tired. Um, reading the Bible might refresh you, hopefully. All right, chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Right? This is Paul encouraging right, the Philippians to keep pressing on. Philippians chapter 2, right? next chapter, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? Press on to live out your faith. And then in chapter 3, if you look at the beginning of chapter 3, he's telling them to watch out. Right? He's giving them a warning about those people who will come into the church, who will lead them astray. And he tells them at the end of the chapter, Look out for these bad examples and, and look instead to the great examples of faithfulness to imitate like Paul. And this is how he finishes chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You hear what Paul is doing here. He's, he's telling the Philippians, keep pressing on in the faith, especially as we wait for Jesus to return. 
And we see this reminder just before our verse 6 and 7 in chapter 4, verse 5. Have a look at the second half of verse 5. He reminds them once more that the Lord Jesus is at hand. Press on because Jesus is coming back soon. As in this context, that he says that prayer is both a wonderful gift and privilege from God, but also a necessity, crucial, for keeping us strong in our trust in Jesus. You see, prayer isn't the kind of privilege and gift that you pull out only on a special occasion, you know, like your beautiful pearl necklace, right, or your spanking suit, right, or, or tickets to Disney World where you just pull out, right, on a special occasion. No, prayer is, is the kind of gift the kind of privilege that is like air. Like how air is a gift and privilege, so is is prayer. It's something that we need to do all the time. Why? Because holding on to our faith in Jesus and and living for Jesus is never easy. It's never easy. There are plenty of anxious moments as we face the trials and the temptations and the troubles that life throws at us from all different directions, internally and from the outside. And so Paul says in verse 6, Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray. Most of you hate it, you know, when you're worried, and then someone says to you, what do they say to you? Don't worry. Don't you hate it when they do that? It's like fei hua, right? You know, I'm, I, if I was, if I, I mean, I'm worried, and you tell me not to worry, if I, if, I, if I can so easily not worry, I wouldn't be worried, and you wouldn't have to tell me not to worry, right? It is so pointless to tell someone not to worry when they're worrying, because, you know, like, that's like useless. Don't, don't tell me that kind of stuff. Give me something more concrete, something that will help me. And that's what Paul is doing. He isn't just saying, don't be anxious, and then Mike drop, walk away, right? Sort your own problems out. No, he's saying, don't be anxious, And then Paul gives the key, right, of how not to be anxious, doesn't he? He says the key to not being anxious is to pray. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, now supplication is just a big word for asking God for something, Uh, uh, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, this this phrase is so beautifully jam-packed. I'm going to go through each phrase, right, Uh, because there's such wonderful things to say. Now, it begins with in everything, right? In everything, every situation, every instance, every temptation, every trial, every trouble, in every possible area of life that you can think of, in everything that causes you to be concerned or to be worried or to be anxious, pray. You see, see, worry, when we worry about something, it's usually because there is a problem that we can't fix, isn't it? Your worries are over, right, when you fix the issue. So, for instance, uh, I, I made the cardinal mistake last night of reading my sermon before going to sleep. I never do that usually on a Saturday night uh, because uh, what happens is then I worry about what I'm going to say, all right? So I read my sermon and I was like, oh, I worry whether this is going to be, you know, how's it going to land, whether I'm, I'm being faithful to God's word. And before I was uh, working on my sermon, I was working on the Rubik's Cube, right? Trying to solve it and trying to memorize, you know, some things. And, and so the whole night I was worried. And I was having these weird dreams of Rubik's cubing my sermon. I don't know how that works, but it was really strange. And I woke up feeling a bit worried. And then I came, and now I'm preaching. And in about 20 minutes' time, my worries will be over, right? Because I would have 
given the word, and it's up to God now, nothing much more I can do, and, and it'll be over because, you know, it's done. Well, it's never really done, but, you know, it's kind of done. It's kind of like that, isn't it, with, with, with our problems. Uh, we, we stew on it, and then as we have it for longer, and it become, the problem becomes bigger because we can't fix it, then our worries and anxieties increase, and they grow because we haven't been able to fix it. Now, for the Philippians, the source of their worry was probably their striving to live out the faith, especially in the face of persecution and hostility. As we saw in chapter 3, there was a warning. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those people around you who are trying to, 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 to disturb your faith and, and make you give up on Jesus. And you remember, the Apostle Paul isn't writing this from a place of comfort. He's not sitting on some beach right at the Gold Coast, sipping a Mai Tai and writing this, don't worry. If you read Philippians, he's actually in jail. He is living for Jesus and suffering for it. He is not naive. He, he is not uh, 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 blind to the situation that he or the Philippians are in. But all the same, he says, don't worry, but pray in everything. Now, for us, it could be the same, isn't it? We could find that living as a Christian is difficult. It's challenging. We are struggling constantly with our own sins and wanting to be faithful to our God. Or maybe we're struggling to, 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 to really hold on to and be, and, be, and be open about our identity as Christians in the school or in the workplace or at home even. I know some of us live in homes in which our parents really don't want us to go to church. Some of us have to maybe even tell lies to be able to get out of the house on a Sunday morning. Uh, and maybe we are free here while we're in Australia, but when we go back to Singapore or Malaysia or Hong Kong or China, wherever we're from, it's so much more difficult to be able to proudly stand for Jesus. Now, we, we've heard from, from Sonia, her fears coming back to, to Australia in the climate that we live in, we are going against the, the, the tide of popular opinion as to what is acceptable and what is, what is, uh, what is able to be believed in. We, we, are, we are shouted down and hated for our faith if we're serious about it. But not only for our faith, there are worries in all of life, isn't there? Maybe there are relationships, uh, relationship problems that are brewing in our homes or in our workplaces. There's always the constant worry of sickness. For the moment, it's the coronavirus. In the past, it was SARS. In the future, it'll be something else. And then, as we get older, there's always the, 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 the looming time bomb of that C word, cancer, that have taken many of our family and friends. We worry about our finances. We worry about our studies. We worry about our employment. As you get a bit older, you worry about your kids. You worry about your aging parents. You worry about your marriage. You worry about not being able to get married. We worry about the present. We worry about the future. And the bigger and longer our worries get, the more we realize we can't fix it, the more out of control we feel, and the more the anxiety builds up. And Paul says, in all of these situations and more, in everything, by prayer and supplication, Make your requests to God. In everything, pray something and you will worry nothing. That's what Paul is saying, isn't it? In everything, pray something to God and you won't worry about anything. Now, you gotta, the question you want to ask now is, how does that even work, right? right? Does this even work? If you, in everything, you pray something to God and then you won't worry about anything. How does that actually work? Well, the, the, the key here is consider who it is that Paul is asking us to pray to. Who is it that we're praying to when we pray? 
Are we not praying to the almighty, sovereign, creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things, of the universe and all that is in it? The God who holds all things, from the faintest thoughts in our mind to the greatest empires. The one who controls the, the slightest whiff of air to the greatest earthquakes. From the very least of us to the greatest of us, young, old, Chinese, Caucasian, student, worker, unemployed, parent, child, doesn't matter who or what, is not God the creator and sustainer and sovereign over all. You see, he holds everything in his hands. He controls it. He allows it. He even commands it. That is the God that we pray to. This is the God we pray to. God is in control, even when we're not. Do you believe that? God is in control, even when our lives and the lives of the people around us and the world that we live in is out of control. Do we believe that God is still in control? Because this is the God that you're praying to. You see, when you bring all your cares and concerns and all your worries and your anxieties, no matter how small or no matter how big, when you bring it all to God, you are relieving yourself of the burden of having to fix all these things yourself. You are, you are unburdening yourself from being in control, which is a great thing because you aren't in control. You see, when you pray, you're acknowledging God as God and you're letting God be God. When you pray and when you ask God for something, right, in everything you ask something from God, you might ask for wisdom, which is a great thing. You might ask for strength or, or for His will to be done or for you to be able to trust Him simply whether He answers or not. What you're doing is acknowledging that you aren't in control and that you need help. Prayer says you need help from God because you can't fix it. Prayer is acknowledging God as God and letting God be God. And isn't He the only one capable of doing the job of being in control? When have you ever really been in control? Only God is in control. Now, this doesn't mean that when we pray that God will definitely fix all our problems in a way that you or I think that we need or want. We need to listen very carefully to what God promises he will do in response to our prayers. Now, we're going to see this as we get to verse 7, right? The answer will come in verse 7, what God promises. But before we get there, there's one more phrase that I want to home in on, which we haven't looked at yet, in verse 6. And there's the phrase, with thanksgiving. Notice that all our prayers are to be made to God with thanksgiving. Now, how does praying in everything with thanksgiving help us to not worry about anything? How does, that, how does that help? Now, thanksgiving requires you to think of things that are thankworthy, isn't it, of God. It's kind of weird, isn't it, if I were to give thanks to Mark. So I say, Mark, thank you. And then Mark says, for what? And then I'm like, it makes no sense, right? There's no thanksgiving. I mean, if I give thanks to Mark, it's for something that he's done for me, right? Or for someone else or something, right? And that's the thing that, that thanksgiving does. When we give thanks, when we pray in all things, in our anxieties, with thanksgiving, we are recalling all that God has done for us, all that He's already done for us in the past, all that He's doing for us right now, and all that He will do for us, all that He promises to do for us in the future. And haven't we been learning in the last few what God has done for us, especially in Christ? 
that He's already saved us by dying on the cross, that, that Jesus right now makes us right with God, reconciled, children of God again, and He will return, He will bring us home, He will bring us to glory. That is our certain hope. When we give thanks to God, especially in light of the gospel, we remember just how great and how good God is. You see, the problem is that in our worries, we forget these things, don't we? We're so busy focusing on the problem, we're so busy navel-gazing, uh, uh, being consumed by our, our issues, and they may be big in light of the present and light of our lives. They may be big, but then we forget the God who is in control, who's bigger, greater, better than our problems. I think of uh, praying and living without thanksgiving, like having our eyes closed while we're in the water, right? And you're like stressing out in the water going, man, this sea is huge, right? There, there, there's a bottomless pit, I'm going to drown. But praying and living with thanksgiving is like having your eyes open and realizing that you're in a baby pool. Right? And there's like safety boys all around. And the, and the ground's actually only one centimeter below your toes there. You just put your foot down and you'll be safe. And the, the lifeguard is Olympic swimmer. Right? But you're safe. Right? Thanksgiving means that God is in control and God has been good to you. God is good to you and God will be good to you regardless of what this life throws at us. So Paul says, in everything, pray something to God. That's the key to not worrying about anything. Now, what is the result? Have a look at verse 7. We'll move on to verse 7 now. What will be the result of praying to God in everything, something, so that we won't worry anything? The result is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this, I know this to be one of the most treasured verses that Christians hold on to. Right? In, in, in the past when we used to have bookmarks, because we used to have books, right? this verse would be on bookmarks, right? And, and it would be on um, uh, cards that we send to each other, you know? Um, little, you know, those little cards you buy at Kurong for like 60 cents? And, and it'll have this verse, and it'll be, it's meant to bring comfort, because as we pray, you know, peace, so beautiful. But, but Christians also tend to misunderstand this verse in a number of ways. The first misunderstanding that Christians often have with this beautiful verse has to do with the word peace. You see, for many people, especially Christians, peace is, a pri is primarily a feeling, isn't it? It's a feeling kind of word. It's a strong sense of zen, you know, calmness, a feeling at ease, free of troubles and worry. Right? Peace is when the kids aren't home, if you're a parent, or your parents aren't home, if you're a kid, Right? Peace is when, when no one's yelling at you to do chores. Uh, peace is where uh, you, know, you're, you're, you actually left your phone and your laptop at home and you're free at the beach or something. Right? Peace is the kind of thing you get with a noise-canceling headphone, isn't it? It just blocks out the world and it's just you and your music or nothing even. Sometimes you put the, I put noise-canceling headphones sometimes with no music just because I want to tune everyone out in my house. Don't tell anyone, okay? Uh, <laughs> seldom, but I do do that. All right, peace... It's sort of this absence of internal and external disturbance. And so Christians who misunderstand peace to mean this, they think that this verse is promising some sort of supernatural feeling of serenity that descends on you, maybe like a dove or like a blanket, right, whenever you pray. Some kind of spiritual, you know, Xanax or Valium, right? You pray and then suddenly supernatural serenity comes upon you. 
you know what happens. We pray, and then we don't get this feeling, and then we're disappointed. And then maybe you think, what's the point of praying? Maybe God doesn't listen. See, peace cannot be limited to just a feeling. Paul tells us that this peace from God surpasses all understanding, is more complex than just feelings. But I think we can have some understanding, maybe not all understanding, because it surpasses all understanding, but we can have some understanding of the word peace as we look at scriptures. The word peace is a beautiful and big word in the Bible. Beautiful and big word. From all the way back in the Old Testament, the word peace, that many of you might know this word, is called shalom. Now, it's one of my most favorite words in the entire Bible because shalom is this picture of everything being made right in every possible sphere of life. Right? It's this idea that everything has been made right again. Everything that is broken is fixed. Uh, everything that is damaged by our sin against God, against each other, it, it, it is fixed. All that is sick is healed. It's this beautiful word of wholeness. And it's this peace of God that, is being, uh, that God is, is bringing about, has been bringing about since the fall. When, when, when sin came into the world and broke this world, peace is what God has been trying to restore. And as we know from our foundations of the last four weeks, God ultimately brings peace through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His perfect life, through His redeeming death, through His victorious resurrection. And of course, when He returns again, Jesus will make all things peace, all things right. And so this is what praying to God in all anxieties with thankfulness as we wait for Jesus' return does. It reminds us at least in one level of the certainty, the conviction, the content of God's gospel that has brought about peace with Him, with each other, and eventually the peace in the world as it is restored and renewed. So this peace that we get at the minimum contains these truths of how peace has been restored and achieved by Jesus. Now, of course, this peace will then be a, a sense of assurance and comfort and no doubt, there'll be times where you will feel something. That peace will be a feeling of calmness and serenity as you bask and as you bathe in the beauty of God's peace-giving work through Jesus. Now, we might not fully understand what this peace is, right? because it's beyond understanding, but prayer gives it to us. That's a certainty. We might not know exactly what it is, but the certainty is that we get it and the reason for why God gives it to us is given to us in verse 7, isn't it? It is that this peace is given to us to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer results in peace that guards us, that helps us to press on and hold tight to Jesus no matter what life throws at us. Now, this is where the second misunderstanding of this verse comes in. So many Christians mistake verse 7 right, as saying that peace will guide our hearts, right? It's like we Christians, maybe sometimes we don't spell right, you know, right? The, the verse says G-U-I-D-E. No, it doesn't. It says G-U-A-R-D, isn't it? We're two letters mixed up there. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? A verse like this, uh, Christians expect that when they pray, you know, there's a decision to make. Should I go to Australia to study? Or should I go to U.S. or U.K.? Should I go to U.Q. or to Q.U.T.? 
right? Should I date this guy or that guy? This girl or that girl? Should I get married? When should I get married? Should I have children now? Which job should I take? Should I change jobs? Right, which shirt should I wear today? I hope no one prays about that. All right, whatever it is, we pray and then we hope for a feeling of peace that guides the decision. The more peaceful we feel about something, that means that's where God wants us to go. Right, you heard that before? You've done that before? I know I have. I know many Christians do. But is this what verse 7 is saying? No, verse 7 is saying that God's concern, that God's answer to our prayers is to give us peace that guards, that protects us in Jesus. That's what God's concerned about, to guard us in our faith in Jesus. That's what's most important in this life and the next. Now, how God does this, I mean, it's up to God, isn't it? At times, He may actually guide us in wisdom to the right decision. At other times, He may give us a sense of peace and calmness. And at other times, He may even increase the stress and increase the trials and increase the challenges so that we may grow in faith. And other times, we have no idea what God is doing specifically and practically, but we know for sure that when we pray something in everything, we don't have to worry anything because God is giving us peace that guards. He's guarding us. That's what He's promising us. Everything else God can do, but the promise, the guarantee, is that through our prayers, He's holding us in Jesus. Now let's bring things to a wrap. Okay? God gives us prayer as one of the greatest, uh, one of the great foundations of our faith. Uh, it's a gift and a privilege, but it's also a necessity, isn't it? It is a gift and privilege to be able to pray to God as our heavenly Father, but it's also a necessity for us to be able to be held on to Jesus. In everything, when we pray something, in everything we are to pray something so that we don't have to worry about anything. Why? Because prayer is God's gift to guard us in Jesus Christ. Speaking to God, right, every day, telling Him about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and everything in between of our lives is a way that we show that God is God and that we are not. It's a way to remind ourselves that God is God and that we are not. When we pray with thanksgiving, we're always bringing to mind Reminding ourselves that God is in control, that He is great and that He is good, and that He will be great, that He will be good, regardless of our current circumstances that worry us and trouble us. Praying results in a peace that surpasses all understanding, but it includes the peace that has been won by, by Jesus, a, a conviction, a, a comfort, an assurance that is built up and perhaps a sense of, of calmness and serenity may come, it may not, but the peace is still given to us that guards us in Jesus Christ. And so the application for today's sermon is really very simple. I don't have to go through whether you know, you're in primary school or secondary school or uni student or a young worker or a married or a family or a retiree. You know how sometimes we have to go through all that to explain it? This one very simple. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in life, how young or how old, what you're doing, the application for this sermon is, are you praying? Are you praying in everything with thanksgiving? You see, if you aren't praying, then you're missing out in a big, big way. If you aren't praying, you're, you're facing life and all of its worries on your own, with your own wisdom and with your own strength, and you just can't do it. 
you were never built to be in control. You're never strong enough. You never know enough to be able to fix all the problems you have in your life. You're missing out because you're relying on yourself and you don't rely on God. If you, you are praying, then you're in danger of letting life and all of its worries weaken and even destroy your faith. Because prayer is how God guards us in Jesus. So if you aren't praying, then you're not safe. Your faith will weaken and will die off if you don't trust in God and remind yourself of what you have and who you are in Jesus Christ. But if you pray, and you pray more and more in everything, with prayers and supplications, making a request made known to God with thanksgiving, then you will live a life knowing God's peace and being guarded in Jesus. So let me ask you, how is your prayer life? Right? Is it just before a meal when you remember? Is it just maybe before you sleep as a way to help you get to sleep? Or is it something that you do like breathing throughout the day? That as thoughts and as challenges and as troubles come through, you have this connection with God that you have a privilege of having but you never use. Or you're someone who converses with God as someone who's in control, uh, who is in communion with you at every moment of your life. How about we start by praying right now and then let's keep on striving to keep speaking to God in everything in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that as we explore the foundations of the Christian faith, we re realize and, and uh, uh, are blown away by just how gracious you are. That all the goodness that we have in this Christian faith is a gift from you, beginning with the salvation that you provide for us through Jesus, that we simply receive by faith, to the new life that we get to live, no more living for ourselves, no more living in rejection of you, no more messing up our own lives, with our own simple decision-making. To the uh, gift of your word, your very briefed-out words that gives us all that we need to know to be saved and to live the safe life. So today we come to realize also that you give us the wonderful gift and privilege of prayer, that we have such free access to you, to be able to call you as Father, to know that you love us and you love to hear us and you love to respond to our prayers. We thank you too that prayer has been given to us as a way to guard us in Jesus, as a way to know the peace that surpasses all understanding that helps to keep us protected and safe in our trust in Jesus until the end. And so, Father, we pray and we confess that we so often neglect uh, and, and we do not use this gift of prayer that you've given to us, that we do not speak to you as our Father, that we do not trust you and rely on you in everything. There's a reason why many of us here are full of worries and anxieties, uh, they're trying to fix our own lives our own way. And we pray that you'll help us to trust you, to express that trust in our prayer, and to be able to know that peace and that safety in our praying. Please help us to pray as if we breathed. All this we pray in Jesus' name.